Welcome to TWW, The Weekly Wheel, where each week the Dharma Wheel rolls and delivers you new content available anywhere at any time in your everyday life. We present a mindfulness service, which has three components. First, meditation. And then we meditate with sound through chanting. You can have your mind wander when you sit in silence, but it's very difficult to wander as you chant. You need to focus on the next character, on your breathing, on the next line. And if you pat yourself on the back too much or become too self-aware, you'll miss a line. And then lastly, we have something called active listening, where we lean into and really listen to the Dharma talk given by our senseis. You could think of silent meditation and sound meditation through chanting as preparatory to get our minds focused and open and clear so we can really listen clearly and really take in the Dharma. And in a sense, it perfumes the mind. The mind is slowly changed as it hears new points of view, new perspectives, and new approaches to dealing with life. It's set up much like an in-person service. It's led, moderated by multiple voices. So you get a variety of opinions, a variety of, of perspectives as you go on your journey. So I hope you will join us now for this mindfulness service presented to you by the people at The Weekly Wheel and the Orange County Buddhist Church. Thank you so much. We will now have seated meditation. Take a moment to see that your back is straight and centered with your shoulders relaxed. If you're in a chair, it's best to sit forward slightly rather than leaning on the chair back and keep your feet flat on the floor. Try keeping your eyes half open, resting the gaze gently downward, without focusing on anything in particular. In the same way, be open to whatever sounds are coming into your ears, whether from inside the room or outdoors. We are not trying to isolate ourselves from the world around us, but rather feel that we're part of that world. If you like, you may count your breaths from one to ten. Inhale deeply, let it all out. Try slowing down your rate of breathing relative to what it would be at other times. We are not trying to think about anything in particular or visualize anything. We simply watch our thoughts come and go.
Please put your hands together in gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 You may stretch your legs and then please stand. We will now have our standing meditation session. Your upper body is in the same position as for sitting meditation. Straight head and spine, shoulders back, eyes half open, hands comfortably positioned in front. Legs should be shoulder width apart with knees slightly bent. Again, rock forward and backward and side to side to find your center. Standing meditation reminds us to take our meditation practice out into the world, waiting in line at the store, being stuck in traffic, going through TSA security at the airport. Over time, meditation becomes a practice for the body and mind that can be recalled when needed most in situations that may be merely annoying, perhaps frustrating, or even stressful. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. Return to your seat or cushion. Sitting in this way, we might wonder what purpose we are achieving. Actually, there is no specific purpose. I think it's really to make us aware of what sitting is, what breathing is, standing is. What are these simple activities that we do most of the time without thinking about them at all? We'll begin our second sitting at the bell.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters. And each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character. And it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. We will now chant the Junidai found on page 49. Junidai or 12 verses of reverence, originated in the Mahayana tradition of India during the time of the Pure Land Master Nagarjuna, around 150 CE. The verses were later translated into the Chinese text that we chant today. Like the larger sutra and the Amida sutra, the text of Junidai describes the spiritual qualities of Amida and the Pure Land using poetic language. Please read the translation of the Junidai found on page 51, which describes in detail what the 12 verses of reverence actually means. We will now chant the Junidai. Amida 
Oh. 
Are you positive? No, I'm contrapositive. In this essay, we get to combine two of my favorite things, mathematics and Buddhism. All you need is a basic knowledge of both to hopefully appreciate where we are headed. If you made it through high school geometry, then we are good to go. So take a deep breath to ease any math anxiety you may have. We are going to go slow and step-by-step step with some very basics of logic. The following statement is called a conditional. If it snows, then they cancel school. You can also rewrite any conditional statement into what is called a contrapositive, and it still remains true. This is accomplished by first flipping the if clause with the then clause and then negating them both, like so. If school is not canceled, then it is not snowing. This means that if school is open, then it must not be snowing. This is a valid conclusion. There are other statements that you can also write, but they would not be true. They are called the converse and the inverse. If they cancel school, then it snows. If it does not snow, then they do not cancel school. It is obvious that both of these are false. First, 
Canceling school does not affect the weather. And second, school can be canceled for many reasons other than snow. We are all very comfortable with the conditional. We use them all the time. It is the other three types of statements that can cause us trouble. So I found it very unusual that each of the 48 vows in the larger sutra is written as a contrapositive. For example, here is the third and fourth vows, simplified a bit for our purposes. If all people are not of a golden color, then I will not attain enlightenment. If all people are not of equal beauty, then I will not attain enlightenment. Nothing in the sutras is left to chance, so it is very purposeful that Dharmakara, the hero of the larger sutra, would choose to state these vows in the contrapositive. But the problem is we don't know what that purpose is. It also adds confusion because we think about these statements as if they were all a simple conditional. For example, if all people are of a golden color, then I will attain enlightenment. If all people are of equal beauty, then I will attain enlightenment. If we think about it in this way, then two things happen. First, these become statements about practice. Second, these 48 vows all become or statements, meaning that if Dharmakara can achieve any one of these, then he will become Amida Buddha. But both of these conclusions are false, not valid. We can clearly see this if we rewrite the contrapositive as the equivalent conditional, which we can do because the flip and negate method works in either direction. So we have, if I attain enlightenment, then all people are of golden color. If I attain enlightenment, then all people are of equal beauty. This equivalent conditional reading makes things much clearer. First, these are no longer statements about practice. They are statements about results, meaning that this is how a Buddha affects the world after awakening. After insight, all people are equal in both color and appearance. Second, these are now and statements. All 48 vows have to be true at once when one is awakened. Each is a necessary outcome of realizing Buddhahood. So rather than reading the larger sutra as a hero's journey, we can appreciate it as a story of an awakened reality that we now find ourselves living in, resulting from Amida Buddha's realization after many eons of practice. All we have to do now is accept it as a principle or a fundamental condition of our existence. It is an awakened reality that is operating on us every day, much like that of gravity. This is a far different story when seen in this way. It is like a grand mythological rendering of what we might call the Buddhist Big Bang Theory of Buddha nature. When we realize this and receive it, then we can say Namo Amidabutsu in deep gratitude for this precious gift. It is one that is unmerited. This is not something that we have earned, and yet it is given freely to all of us. Nothing you ever learn will ever go to waste, as they say in geometry. QED, quo erratum demonstratum, meaning, thus it was demonstrated. Thank you very much. Please join me in God's show. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. This podcast is copyrighted 
2022, by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, All Rights Reserved.